Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of FireDev, a fireside chat with people in the industry. Today my guest is Eugene Cherney. Eugene, how are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. How about you? Yeah, I'm good, I am good. The weather in the UK is not the best, but you know, what can you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can, I can agree. <laughs> <laughs> How's the weather where you are? You're in the UK uh, as well. Yeah, 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 just raining all the time. Not all the time, but... Just like weather. Yeah, it's it's sun. raining in it's raining enough for it to be annoying. Yeah, <laughs> basically, sun follows followed by rain and it repeats several times a day and just yeah, just I don't know, just settle in. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just one of those things you have to deal with in the UK. UK is great yeah. for many things. The weather is not one of them. Yeah. yeah. So Eugene, you work at Sumo Digital. What do you yep. do there? Tell the audience a little bit about what you do. Plus, also what Sumo is for anyone that's not heard of it. Yeah, so let's start with Sumo probably. <clears throat> it's um, basically it's a large company comprising of a bunch of different studios, which are independent from each other. Me in particular, working in in Sumo Nottingham, um, but there are also Sumo Sheffield, some Sumo Pune, Sumo Leamington, the Chinese Room. Um, then we have studios in Poland. Like everywhere, basically. Yeah. So it's a pretty large company. I think they also they also have a, a publishing uh, company, Secret Mode. Um, yeah, so it's pretty 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 big company. Um, and I'm doing audio programming in Nottingham, which is uh, basically like making and developing audio systems, audio playback systems that connect to gameplay code, and then they try to play sound in a way that sound designer want them to play. It's oh. kind of high level overview. Okay. And you know what got you into audio programming? Because I, f- I feel like, you know, when you think of programming and when you think of games programming, I feel like audio programming audio programming isn't the first, you know, type of programming role that comes into most people's minds. Yeah, that's true. Uh, to be honest, like uh, <laughs> I've heard some reactions when people learn that I'm audio programmer. What? There are some <laughs> specializations like this? What? Seriously? <laughs> I know graphics programming, yeah, but no, the no audio programming. <laughs> yeah, or AI programming, like especially now yeah. Yeah. over the last yeah. few years, people have heard of you know AI programming yeah. and you know some other ones. But yeah, audio programming, though very important. And if you try and play a game and you turn the music off or you try and watch a movie, for example, and you turn, you know, the audio off, you realize how important this aspect of the medium is, but something that you never appreciate. Yeah, that's totally right. Um, I would also add that um, there's a saying, like, if you don't notice audio in the game or in the movie, it means audio is damn good. So that's the thing. That's probably people why, why people don't maybe pay too much attention to audio like because it's like uh yeah it just works i mean yeah it makes everything comfortable like um maybe gives you some hints about gameplay and other stuff um but if you don't notice it means we did a good job basically okay so yeah locals you know asking like what you know how did you become an audio programmer because did you go to university and like what was your sort of you know computing background that got you into this well, I'd say my path was um, quite uh, non-linear. Um, so yeah, I was um, studying like computer networks in the university. And then I got into 
got acquainted with the people who work in, for AI lab in the university. So we started doing some projects like when I was masters, um, like writing papers and stuff. So then I started doing PhD with this AI lab. Um, this PhD be became a double degree PhD with uh, a Finnish university um, in, in the town of Turku. It's um, like the southwest of of Finland, basically across the sea and there'll be Stockholm. Um, yes, I was doing PhD there, though I haven't finished. Um, I kind of, I was kind of depressed. Um, it's pro probably, <laughs> probably quite a common story among uh, PhD students. Um, so it, it wasn't related to the studies, more like some personal stuff. Uh, yeah, because like we've had an you know, amazing um, lab. It was an embedded system labs in this uh, Obo Academy University. Yeah, but yeah, I was kind of feeling down, depressed, like, you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's like unfocused procrastinating uh, a lot. Like when I was procrastinating, I was like uh, reading some documentation on different audio and start looking to game audio, especially, and suddenly like I stumbled upon a video by Mick Gordon. Um, it's a this, this it, he's a composer for Doom. Uh, 2016 and Eternal. Um, are you familiar with this game, by the way? Oh, oh yeah, like the audio. In, I, I think there's yeah. so many things that are great about that game, but yeah. when the audio kicks in, especially in Doom 2016, you know, yeah. when you first, I think, get the shotgun and it just kicks yeah. in. <laughs> like, everything just... Love. Uh, if I recall correctly, is it when you get the shotgun and, like, the elevator doors open or when you go into the elevator, yeah. it just kicks in. And, yeah, that game is or both of those games in reality are great you know case studies of how to do sound well you know ai well gameplay well you know just an amazing game overall and in reality the story is definitely a, 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 you know on the back like it, it's it's not a story rich game compared yeah. to something like half-life uncharted you know elder scrolls something like that it is just fun and I think it's good to see Again, a game yeah. that says, you know what, everything else has deep story in there. We we don't need the deep story. You know, we'll put some sort of story in there. You know, a very you know sort of basic generic you know action story, but you, it, it can just be fun for the sake of being fun. Yeah, exactly. So it's just a shooter game which doesn't pretend to be something more than a mm. shooter sort of. Um, and yeah, so style upon like. A talk by Mick Garden, who is a composer, and he uh, explained the way he was. Um, he was like um, he, he made the soundtrack because soundtrack they also adapts to um, adapt that adapts to the game situation environment, whatever is happening. So it's all dynamic, like different layers of music it can appear uh, in and out, like depending on what you do. And yeah, so then I started. Which other his presentation was about um, there was a, his, there was a fighter game he was he was working on I cannot remember the name so yeah I was just I was just amazed by how he was doing so it just um, this was my kind of procrastination phase uh, during my PhD sort of apart from this yeah I was reading like DSP and stuff um, but I find that really interesting that your procrastination phase. 
was still very educational, still very, you know, yeah. useful. Because, you know, a lot of... Because when you started talking about procrastination, I thought you were going to start... Actually, you know, what years did you go to uni again? You know, what years is, <sighs> is this roughly? Yeah. Uh, I can't expect this question. <laughs> yeah, just like, um, it was, uh, no, like five years ago. Like yeah, okay. it was from yeah. 2016 to 2019, I think. Yeah. Yeah, recently. So, yeah, I was expecting you to say, I was just playing video games all day, or <laughs> I was just on social media, or watching TV, you know, Netflix or something. But, no, you know, you was doing yeah. something, you know, yeah, the, you there, know there was a site that was productive. Yeah, there was, well, yeah. Like, did you have an? Did you always have an interest in like audio that made you just read it, read about audio, yeah. uh, and you just enjoyed it? Yes, uh, yeah, of course. I, I already had some interest in this. Uh, it's just like I put it on hold, sort of, um, when I was doing PhD. Even though my PhD was related to audio, like mm-hmm. audio analysis, for like particularly, I wanted to make some tools for sound designers, in particular, um, and uh, just to help them to search for sounds more quickly. So like what kind, how to analyze sounds and you know this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, but I, ha- I have some background in music in a little bit in, in like contemporary art, um, just a tiny bit, um, let's say sound art. Um, okay. Yeah, so like I actually started programming like when I, when I, I mean, I didn't intend to become a programmer like initially. So even kind of, because my university where I was studying networking, it was just, and a second university, the previous one was totally unrelated to anything like computer, let's say. Uh, but I. What did you do previously then, you know, before um, your networking tech stuff? It was some kind of engineering, um, sort of like uh, buildings and stuff like this. Okay. Kind of, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, but we're still engineering. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it wasn't totally. You know, different. You know, like law or seamstress. You know, you know, well, yeah. something crazy, crazy different. Because I know people that have you know done like a mechanical engineering degree, and then they you know lent more into the tech side. So I, I, on that first degree, was there any element of you know technical or side of it, or not at all? Uh, I don't know to be honest. Um... Any like yeah, CAD not, software to like design yeah, buildings? Yeah, there was this a, bit, a little bit, yeah. Okay. Um, it wasn't like it. It was like architecture. It's more like some engineering things in like um, like in agriculture or some something like this. And, you know, like some some applied things you can develop for like uh, manufacturing, production, this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, because like um, again, so I was I kind of. I was born like in a small village, you know, before the internet uh, was widespread. <laughs> yeah. And so at this situation, like, um, it's pretty hard to know what you want to do because there is no information and like it's the place itself is quite small. So I was into music back, back then, like, uh, probably because of my father who just showed me different like bands, like Deep Purple, you know, Led Zeppelin and whatever. So I was into music and at some point, like, um, uh, my brother with his friends squatted a, an abandoned school and started making parties there, like rave parties. Like, uh, and I was like 14 at this point. For me, it was like, wow, it's so amazing. And the, the, and the music that was played there was actually pretty good. And it's like all the UK underground music, like, uh, like drum and bass, you know, techno and like house music, you know, like Adrashan Optical and I don't know, like Noisy or whatever was playing like everywhere back in the day. 
so that's how I got into technical um, music part because so, because sound design like in drum and bass is the most important thing I would say it's not like about composing and stuff like this so it's how you make the sounds how you like find new ways to process it to um, to kind of to make the better more faster sounds you know this kind of stuff and, you know reading a lot of how um, how adjustment optical particularly I think optical um, this um, how he made the, his like, bass lines or whatever, how they use the old equipment to distort sounds, to re-record them, to modulate them, and to re-record again, and to process them over and over again, like to resample. And so, yeah, and I was like uh, trying to do this kind of stuff during my whole, few, whole first degree. And at some point I got into, um, what it's called, like, there's a software called Maximus P, maybe, maybe you heard about this. It doesn't ring a bell. What's the software used so, for? Yeah, it's a visual so, visual programming environment um, for making audio. It has a really uh, old, kind of long history. Like basically, the first version of was created in the eighties, I think, by Miller Packet. It's um, he's now in the University of California, but he he's French, I think. Um, so he developed this first uh, visual environment for composers to implement this kind of experimental academic music. And I was like all into just, I just got fascinated by by, by all of this stuff. Like I started digging into it and yeah, it can naturally I started programming. Yeah. Then I got into like, as I said, like to the uni, um, doing some university projects and did more programming. Uh, like so, so some of the people who I worked with during the time, like they were, like super smart programmers, you know, like, like, you know, like you, you interviewed Casey, you know, like, and they had the same energy with them. I just remember this. And I remember like, you know, like with, with all this environment, like it, it was so inspiring. Um, I think even like my, my biggest improvement as a programmer was just to, from hanging out with those people. It's not like about, uh, how to code something or something like this. It's more like how they approached problems like the attitude and what they did to kind of decompose the problems to smaller problems. So they kind of tried to solve them in software later on. And uh, yeah, so, okay. What was the question? I already forgot. <laughs> I think I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to think myself. It, it was about you know, how you kind of got into audio oh, yeah. you know, programming. Yeah. Let's carry on. So yeah. And that's how, I got interested in software and then how I got PhD. But I think like during my PhD procrastination, I suddenly received, at some point I received an email uh, from my future co colleague and boss. Uh, yeah, like my team lead, my future team lead. And he said, okay, so we have this um, audio, technical audio team in China and we need an audio programmer. And one of my old friends just recommended you they can contact you to if, if would you consider just going to work to China and work as audio programmer? Like <laughs> for me, it's like what? It's uh, it's it's just out of the blue to be honest. Like um, uh, to be honest, I'm I'm quite I'm I'm quite uh, lucky. I got this opportunity. Yeah. So and and I went to China without finishing my PhD, and I was working there at Nadis Games, it's the second largest game company there or third largest, something like this. 
what sort of games does NetEase you know make? Uh, mostly mobile games. One of the recent ones you may have heard of uh, is, um, I think it's um, Harry Potter: Magic Awakens. Oh, so, they, so yeah, it's, they made their own. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's a really cool game actually. Um, they have they have developed a very unique art style. So kind of, kind of they adapted this to Asian market sort of, but the art style is just like amazing. They try to make it like to look like a uh, like a children's illustration, children book illustration. Like it's just amazing. Just check it out. Like it's it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I'm not sure about gameplay. It's I'm not a fan of this. It's because it's mobile game like with some social elements and stuff like this. But the art style is just amazing. So I I would have just checked just because just to look at the art style. It it's just brilliant, brilliant. I think. So yeah, and that's how I got into games. I think just totally random. You see, like, like from uh, from <laughs> raised and abandoned school to some university to PhD. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably not a typical path. No, no, it's not a typical path. But mm-hmm. you know, you know, honestly, one thing I've learned, you know, doing this podcast that we're almost at fifty episodes now, almost yeah, been doing yeah. it for a year, is that most people don't have a typical path. Like, uh, I know a lot of people in the outside world think that okay. You're always into technology. You start programming when you're probably 17, 18 at college. Then you do a, some sort of computer science degree. Then you apply to, I don't know, you know, EA. You get a job there and then you stay there. And the reality is that the path is not that, you know, yeah. straightforward. Even for people that kind of had that path, there's still, still, you know, some story or some, you know, part of the journey that's not very typical. But, you know, the thing with audio programming, and I would say, any sort of programming that's not generic, so AI programming, audio programming, maybe even graphics programming, is that you really need, the company needs to be at some decent size for there to be a distinction between just having a programmer on the game, you know, versus having specific programmers for, for different elements. And what I mean by that is if you've got a startup and there's three people, well, let's say one designer yeah. and two programmers, you're not going to make really a distinction between an audio programmer yeah. and, I don't know, the other programmer. One might happen to do a bit of audio compared to the other one, but there's not a distinction. So what size level of either game or company does that distinction come into play of, okay, we need dedicated audio programmers now? By the way, you can say the same thing about graphics programmers. Yeah, yeah all of um, them, really, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. So to be honest, like our studio, like Sumo Nottingham, like it's around 50 people maybe, but less than 100, definitely. And I think it all depends on the, um, whether or not there, there will be an audio program. It depends on the audio lead. Um, like if projects kind of show that uh, certain audio issues occur every every project and all the time, repeatedly, I think like probably... Uh, they will start considering get hiring an audio programmer, but it, it just depends on on the audio lead because um, <clears throat> my main goal is just to, I mean, ideally, just to make audio guys happy, you know, and also make programmers happy and technical directors kind of balance. So, so like I want to implement as many features, many crazy audio features uh, as possible, and still maintain um, kind of adequate architecture so that. I don't get a lot of bugs uh, later on after the game release and stuff like this. Like everything is, looks nice and extendable and stuff like this. Um, so yeah. Um, so it decided. Yeah, I think. I mean, I guess someone else can give me a good example of kind of smallish studio. Um, 
okay. that has audio program. <laughs> yeah. So, like you said, the studio Nottingham has about 50 people. Is that like 50 programmers or 50 in total, including designers, and managers, HR, everything? Yeah, it's, it's on total. Yeah, less than 100. Like, okay. Um, so, how many programmers, you know, just general programmers in general, are there roughly? On, in the... I don't know. It's maybe 20 or so. Um, but then I, I may be mixing some numbers up uh, because I, I haven't actually looked at it, at the numbers specifically. So by 20 or so from, then you're saying you're probably Yeah, thinking. maybe 30, yeah, but not that many actually, yeah. Okay. And? I, ju- I just don't remember if it's closer to 50 or closer to 100. I just, just yeah, <laughs> I can't remember, sorry. Yeah. Fair enough. So, yeah, we get an idea of, you know, the scale of the company. It's not a tiny yeah. one where there's two or three people working, yeah. but it's not something that, has thousands and thousands there and there's like so many different teams moving about and yeah, yeah so we get that sort of scale so like what game are you specifically working on right now and does sumo studio nottingham only work on one game or is there more because obviously sumo digital has made loads of games and so, so yeah. how does that work sumo digital is a work for hire company basically um in our studio is no exception um Currently, like we we have several projects in parallel going on with the kind of mini teams responsible for their own projects. So it's not like all the studio with fifty or one hundred people. I wish I, I wish I remembered. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. So it's not like all, all people working on the same project like all the time. Uh, me in particular, I'm working like on like a few projects already. Um, one of them is uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game that will be released very soon like in 10 days which sounds super scary <laughs> i mean i'm confident like uh it sounds kind of it sounds good um not too many bugs um probably not as scary as the game itself though <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah of course <laughs> but to me it's scary like yeah damn it, 10 days here yeah, yeah, obviously, when, you, when you've been working yeah. on it. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how long has the development of that game been going on for, and how long have you personally been working on it? Yeah, uh, it's been developing for three, between three and four years. Okay. I was there for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So I kind of joined mid-development. Um, yeah. yeah, so and it's actually was almost end of development, like, yeah, but, yeah. Okay, so, and... Like, at what stage would you say that audio programming comes into play? Because obviously, right at the start where you just have an idea, programming, and I would assume audio programming isn't really, you know, that important. Unless it's some, re- you know, some audio-based game, you know, like Sound Shapes. I don't know if you ever remember that game. But, you know, something like that where audio is, like, the primary thing and then, like, the visual is the secondary thing. Like, at what stage does audio programming come into play? I think the earlier it comes to play, the, the better. I again depends on the game and the scale on the game of the game. Um, like because sometimes it's it's better to spend a little bit of time in the beginning to um kind of to develop some basic systems and APIs for uh, that other people can use, so that it will save time later. So in this regard, I would say like the early is the better, but again, it depends on the on the project. Probably, maybe some studios like uh, which with their own custom engines, engines like in house engines, they may have a very tight integration with the audio engine already, so that sound sound designers can hook up all the sounds like basically without a programmer, mostly like. 
and even generate um, kind of basic um, scaffolding for kind of implementing sounds. Um, yeah, but uh, if starting from scratch, yeah, I would say like the earlier the better because there is in the early stages there 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 is some time to make something cool, right? So the, the feature that you wish you had like last project. And yeah, it's just the best time to experiment, do some R&D and into different ways to play back sounds or maybe some implement some crazy feature like musician, musician, composer or sound designer ones like, uh, yeah. Okay. And because you've worked in UK and China, how does the sort of audio programming and audio development scene in general, you know, differ, you know, between the two? Because I'm assuming there's, you know differences uh, you know in these two markets so in in china uh, i cannot tell like with confidence confidence how how it is there because um still the gap between uh, me and all other chinese is pretty large and also without knowing language it's a little bit complicated to network there so i, I cannot say about audio development in particular um audio programming um but in in the uk um what I noticed, like the community is pretty tight. Like there, there, there are a lot of networking events even just for audio team, not for the programming in particular, but for just audio community or game audio community. In general, it feels like um, everybody knows each other in the UK. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So okay. like, it's, it's like yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so yeah. it's a very tight knit community. So yeah. you know how transferable are the skills that you learn in something like audio programming to some other, you know, realm of programming, like, you know, like, you know, going into it, you know, as technically as possible, like, what are you doing as an audio programmer and how are you interacting with other, you know, programmers or designers? Is it just like, okay, here's the kind of the game in a rough state. And at this point, when the player presses this button, we wanted to play something and then, you know, you, you implement that and like, how, well, how does all that work? So, okay, let me answer the second half first. Um, so all the programming is like, um, it's, um, let's say like, um, <clears throat> I'd say like, I have to communicate like a lot with the uh, audio team and with other teams. Uh, because I wanna, I wanna be always in the loop about new features, about new like some gameplay mechanics that technical design, technical and just design team make to implement later um, the most efficient audio system that's possible to implement within the system. So and also maybe sometimes I can suggest sound designers to implement certain things in the audio engine a little bit easier in a simpler way, for example. Or maybe just different way. And they, I also see what they, how they work with audio engines, and maybe just implement based on this. So it's, it's more like I always have to communicate um, about what I'm doing, what uh, I have to be aware, of, what are the requirements of the project, like, and what I, what our priorities, what kind of, to what extent we want to develop certain features, because it's also like important. Like we can just make something very quickly that kind of works and, and works okay. Or we can just do follow all in into like we're deep into some I don't know sound propagation system or some ambient system which has very specific requirements how to play sound. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, um, 
so I think it's a lot of communication, basically. And um, in regards to the first half about how transferable the skills are, if like to more general programming, I'd say they are transferable um, because, like, anyway, as a programmer, you don't have to be a domain expert into anything. So you have to be able to, to get the requirements from the experts and kind of transfer them into code. Um, so, and audio programming is no different. It's just like me personally, because I know a lot about audio production on like how music is made or how sound designers work, like on a, on a very basic level, of course, um, like I know some concepts and stuff like this. For me, it makes it easier to formulate like technical requirements based on non-technical requirements, but by sound designers. And in general, the, the work itself is like any other programming, I'd say, uh, just uh i have i have my um kind of technical requirements like uh performance requirements and i also have code that other people make and i need to kind of fulfill the requirements and make the code my code to play nicely with other people code like maybe interfaces maybe the real interface i, I don't go too far into all here most of the time more more just um some, some kind of reasonable separation of concerns. Uh, yeah, so it, because it, in the end, it's just like uh, professional programming. Okay. And so what sort of tools do you use as an audio programmer? Because, yeah, you, you know, you're probably using some sort of IDE, let's say Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code for to mm-hmm. interact with the game code in general. But are there you know, audio-specific tools that you're using either for scripting coding or creating the audio? Like, you know, what tools are you using as an audio programmer that a convention, let's say an AI programmer wouldn't use? Mm. Uh, it depends on the task uh, because I see, like, so, some of my parts, some, some of my work is related to, uh, like, gameplay code, but another part uh, involves, like, some tools programming. You know some workflow improvements. I make I make I may create some uh, Python scripts that automate a lot of stuff, and these scripts will uh, use some specific lab media encoding libraries. If I can pack, for example, I might want just to change the volume in the video without modifying or re-encoding the whole file, like just because it's it otherwise still be very slow. <clears throat> or I can make some tools for programmers or to, for sound designers to batch process um, files according to like project requirements. Um, I might also look at in the audio editor to check like if I, if I hear some glitch in the sound or if I hear, hear some imperfection or something like this, I might just check like the waveform. Maybe it, it, it can give some hints why this happened, why this happened. But mostly like I'd say I just work with code. Um, Except this, uh, I have to mention that um, I don't program like audio DSP directly. So we work through audio engine. It's also called audio middleware. So it's basically a software which sound team, sound designers use to configure how their sounds are being played, and they expose certain um, certain parameters and certain events for me to trigger at appropriate times. So. So yeah, and sometimes I have to work in this audio engine authoring tool. 
like maybe change how sounds are impl implemented, maybe change the audio signal path routing, or maybe some configuration of the like and behavior of the audio to fix some bug or like uh, just to integrate to make it different way so it integrates well, or rather integrates better with the code because like because this environment like the audio engine itself is. Um, you can say it's a dynamic environment where sound designers define rules, how sounds are played, and it kind of does a lot of things in runtime, a lot of logic. Like you can do crazy things there. Like for example, like in Destiny Two, like they they had the system like um, uh, when you, when you shoot, um, all sounds are ducked, like they just completely get all completely silent for like one hundred and two hundred milliseconds. So that you would hear your, um, you 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 would hear your like, like your gunners super impactful because you know like if everything is loud then nothing is loud right so not to make something impactful you have to decrease volume of everything else otherwise it will be like a very kind of muddy mix and incomprehensible. Um, yes, yeah, sometimes I I have to just adjust logic um, like this kind of playback logic to tune a little bit. So mostly like this, but nothing super fancy, um, no special tools. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're right. We you know when you were talking before about audio is one of those things that you generally just don't think about when you're playing a game, especially when it's done well. You know, like you're saying this now that, you know, let's say if you're firing a gun, you obviously need to be able to hear the gun. <laughs> like, you know, the, the the sound, and then let's say if you hit something, you need to be able to hear that. Or if you hit an enemy, and like if they scream, you need to be able to hit that, you know, hear that. But if there's music playing, or there's other, you know, sound effects playing that, you, let's say, you know, you haven't directly called maybe AI or, you know, NPCs are creating, you know, how do you make sure your sound gets heard? You know, like obviously the obvious one is just make it loud. But then if the rest of the sound is already loud, and yeah. let's say the player has it on a relatively high volume, the last thing you want it is for the bullet sound effect, for example, to be so loud that, you know, it just kind of hurts the ear. It's just disorientating. Yes. Um, but yes. then you want to be able to hear it. And, and yeah, like I do play games where I'm thinking about it now that I can hear the audio and I feel like, the background, all the other sound effects are kind of blending down and like, you know, they're quietening and maybe they're sort of kind of fading yeah. away. Like it's a very complex thing of how yes. it actually is working. But yeah, you, you don't necessarily, you know, sit there because you'll play a game that say graphically looks good. Let's say a crisis or an uncharted or something like that. And you'll sit there and be like, man, that looks good. But yeah. very rarely does somebody sit there and be like, Man, that sounds good. It means that's perfect. Like if nobody notices sound, it's good. So, but it just like it it does it doesn't do any advertisements for audio. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah, you mentioned like um, this like it's it's also related. Like you mentioned like, how background uh, audio suddenly like kind of kind of go do, goes down in volume a little bit, right? Getting quieter. Um, it's the thing. Like it's the kind of direction of attention of the player it's done intentionally to focus the attention to certain things you might not notice this like because sound is, is this kind of thing like it's, if you are untrained um kind of for for, the, for an untrained listener it's pretty hard to discern like that 
you kind of your attention is being kind of uh, directed by by the sound, right? Uh, yeah, but it, it actually works very well. Like, yeah, you can make something quiet and just to focus on something else. Yeah, and you you can it can help you to discover some things in the game world. Like, there was a this is uh, in Ghost of Tsushima. There was a if you hear for the wind, you will notice that the wind always goes leads you somewhere. If you follow the wind, you will find the some secret location or whatever. Because like they they made it on purpose because like the wind sound it like flows to certain direction it kind of has certain intentional direction where it goes like and you can follow it you know <clears throat> yeah and then there is another one uh, important aspect is prioritization of the audio because yeah in in games uh, unlike the linear me- media like movies like cinema. Um, we can never predict what will happen like next frame, basically, right? Everything is basically a simulation and we don't know what will happen. So we cannot, we cannot um, sort of preemptively react to something that we know will happen. Yeah, sometimes we can, like, you know, when we're talking about some missions or certain certain like areas where, you know, we know that something is going to happen. So basically scripted events. But in again, taking a game like Destiny, when there is a lot of like enemies from all from all directions fighting you, and it's it's really important to prioritize sounds how they play it. It's 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 very important for it's it's where like audio team and programming audio programmers um, and sometimes even kind of wider programming team have to work very tight together in order to deliver a good experience because. You can imagine anything can happen uh, next frame. So probably maybe some player will encounter a situation when you know suddenly like he they hear everything, right? Uh, and this doesn't sound good when everything is audible. Because so you but you ideally you want you want player to hear only what's important for them. Uh, I mean again I'm mentioning Destiny because Destiny did this really well. Um, like if you're fighting the bus, um, yeah, and there's a lot of things happening. You like in a group with your friends, like doing this fight. Um, they actually achieved something that, and to me, it was it's it felt really good, satisfying. They because they they wanted you to feel like you're a superhero. You know what I mean? Like so that like, you know, even if you're kind of struggling at some point, like yeah, and and. The fight is full blown, like super intensive, and everything's happening from all directions. Like you know, like super messy, and like um, they still are able to deliver a very transparent and consistent mix um, of the mix, so that and it makes you feel good about the game because you you kind of even if you overcome it, there's difficulties, like even after being low health or barely almost died or something like this. This this still like it's it's just amazing. Uh, how they do this? It's just one of the one of the best feelings from from what what I can remember <laughs> myself personally. <laughs> okay. And yeah, and this was intentional. That I think it's it's just not, it's not something random because they worked on delivering this experience, and this is just like amazing work for from the team. Yeah. Okay, and you know, talking about you know audio, like, okay. I'll be interested to hear you know from an audio guy, headphones versus speakers. Like, what's your go-to when you're playing a game yourself? Like, you know, you're sitting at home and you're enjoying it. 
headphones. Most people play with headphones, and as well, yeah. I also. But why headphones over speakers? Like I'm a speaker guy. If I have mm-hmm. the opportunity, now I've got kids now, so I do play with my. I actually bought mm-hmm. a nice uh, set of headphones after I became a father. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had headphones before, but it was always speakers, ideally. Uh, but now I, you know, do use headphones more. But if I have the choice, because I've got uh, what, it's a 5.1.4 setup downstairs in the living room, and, you know, playing that like on a movie or a game, it's 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 on a whole nother level. Like, so, so why headphones for you? Well, first, congrats on becoming a father. <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. you. And um, to, be, to be honest, I'm a PC gamer. And you sound like a console gamer, right? Uh, I mean, I'm <laughs> console and PC gamer. I do okay. more console gaming than I used to. As a kid, I did more PC gaming. And mm-hmm. and yes, uh, I did probably have the headphones on more than I would now as a console gamer if I have the option. But even then, I would you know still like to have yeah. you know speakers on as well. I remember you know once playing, I think was it Fear or Dead Space, mm-hmm. one of those games. Mm-hmm. And I it, it, yeah. I don't know why the hell I had the lights off. I had the lights off. I'm not a big fan of scary stuff anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I had the headphones I know on. how it would end here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I had the volume on. Like, I always like having the volume as loud as I can you know, get yeah. it on the headphones. It's like, uh, I want it max. <laughs> you know, ideally. I, if it's like 95%, I want the extra 5%. I don't want it at 95 mm-hmm. so I, I, The volume's loud. And then... Does somebody comes in the room because I was with my mom and dad was trying to call me. And obviously, I couldn't hear because I had the headphones on. Then they tapped me and it scared me so much. <laughs> Again, I don't know why yeah. the hell I had the yeah. lights off when I don't even like horror that much. Mm. Uh, yeah, to be honest, I, I don't have strong preference one for another. It's, for me, it's mostly about convenience because I play a lot of um, Valorant. It's just like a CSGO, but with characters, it's a competitive shooter. And it's just more convenient just to listen to others' footsteps, to react to them better and stuff like this. Uh, yeah, so I don't have any hard preference for one for another. For example, when we were playing uh, It Takes Two with my wife, we, yeah, we, I was, we were using speakers. Um, I mean, it just for me, it's more, mostly about convenience. So I can just put my headphones on, don't distract anybody else with stuff that's happening <laughs> on my screen. Uh, yeah, and especially like when I'm kind of doing some programming, um, I typically tend to wear headphones it can it actually helps focus i uh, i noticed like even even like sometimes i put my headphones on and I don't switch on any music and it's actually they actually have just the feeling that something on your head that isolates you a little bit from the outside world even though i don't listen to anything it still kind of helps to get into the flow so it just i guess it's just more like more like a habit at this point uh yeah inconvenience yeah 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 i mean it's definitely a huge convenience when you know you, you know you want to enjoy it you want it to be loud but you know you practically can't you know maybe you're living in an apartment block where you can't have it too loud or you've yeah. got somebody like maybe your parents have got somebody around or you've got kids that are sleeping you know for whatever reason like maybe it's at night time for example and you know everyone's asleep but you you know you're having a little late night gaming session yeah yeah you know the practicality of headphones you know is just you know i i admit you know you can't match it like well, what's your go-to headphones these days so i i use studio headphones like audio um it's sony uh mdr m1st i think like, these are like like 
they made just for Japanese market, I think. Like they're not super expensive, maybe like two hundred quid. Um, Are they gaming headphones or just general no, it's, audio? It's prof- no, it's professional headphones. Yeah. Okay. So I, I just use them for everything, and I pair them with the with the USB deck uh, for most of cases. Like it's uh, Apogee Groove. Actually, it sounds pretty good, and I'm satisfied, and don't really want to do it to to buy anything else at this point. Okay. So from the sounds of it, like the, what's your preference in terms of the type of headphone? Is it something that gives you the more, you know, higher quality, the, the you know, the way the sound is actually made? Or, you know, because, you know, you get some gaming headphones or gaming modes in like on your TV or on your amp yeah. that are ampli- like the, your increase the bass, your amplify, you no, know, no, sound effects, uh, like your do it over the top compared to if you didn't have that gaming headphone or mode. So, like, do you prefer it to be the more raw, natural uh, mode? Yeah, I prefer more, like, professional um, headphones. <clears throat> they typically are more clear, sound yeah. more clear. Um, they respond to transients, which, which is, like, um, like, changes in sound better, um, like, fast changes in sound called transients, and they, they sound less muddy and more kind of, sh- you can say it sharp. You see, like, it's hard to describe sounds. You know, like, uh, all, all the um, kind of terms that we use to talk about sound are sort of visual cues, even though we're talking about audio, which is like, because, like, again, it's just one case to the point that it's, sound is mostly, like, um, not very recognized, or rather, most people aren't that aware about sound, so there are not many words to describe sound, so we use, like, sound, like, we will use words like juicy, sharp, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I don't know, whatever, like some other gastronomic uh, words. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but yeah, I prefer just studio headphones because I make music uh, in free time. Just like uh, have some synthesizers here. Like I have also professional like audio interface, though I mostly use this um, kind of relatively inexpensive uh, deck for most of the time. Um, Yep. Okay. And like, how is it working on a game like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which, you know, it's a horror game. So, you know, if let's say you've got kids or let's say you've got nephews or nieces or friends with kids, you can't show them that game. Let's say you can't show it to a five-year-old. Whereas if you was working on Fortnite or, you know, Rocket League or, you know, Fifi, you know, something like that, you know, you can show a kid um, or, you know, even adults, There'll be certain friends that you have that probably just don't want to, you know, view anything horror or scary related. So how does that feel that there's certain people that you just can't share your work with? <laughs> yeah, here a parent is talking in, in you. <laughs> so, but you see, I'm not yet a parent, so I'd say like, yeah, parents should handle their kids. Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know, to be honest. Uh, probably, yeah, some kids shouldn't uh, see how, like virtual characters are getting dismembered on screen or just being executed while the other character is laughing or saying something snarky uh yeah and um, like i don't know i think it's parents should be responsible for allowing or not allowing but i think uh most kids probably i mean not kids maybe some more into teenage years maybe i don't know but as they get older they probably start recognizing what's real and what's not real because uh, it's it's mostly a show, right? Uh, screaming, all this stuff. It's like yeah, people don't scream like this, you know. Like uh, um, yeah, so I think 
depends on the age. Okay, no, I, I mean, like, my question was more not in terms of people that you don't know. So obviously that's a you know a separate thing, you know. And I agree, you know, it is up to the parents to you know decide what they can and can't consume because there there'll be some games that are fifteen and like a twelve year old probably would be okay with playing, but there'll be some that you know probably aren't best until they're fifteen, sixteen or more. But I'm saying more, you know, like people that you know. So let's say if you've got a, you know, I don't know if you're a parent, but let's say if you've got children or a nephew and or a niece, you know, it's it's, uh, 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 and let's say they know that you make video games, and they're like, you know, you know, oh, Uncle Eugene, you know, show me the game that you're working <laughs> on. Like, it's something that you probably can't do, or friends that you know that don't like horror, but you want to share, you, you know, just show them your work because you're, so, you're proud of it, for example, but you know they're gonna get scared or they're just gonna feel uncomfortable. So how do you deal with that, knowing that? not everyone that you personally know that you could comfortably share the work with and showcase it to them. Mm, I don't know. I would, I would have just told like, okay, it's Texas Chainsaw, a fa- famous horror movie from the seventies based on the first movie. Maybe, uh, maybe like this. I think in most cases, people will be satisfied with just this backstory and they'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard this movie and stuff, but you don't have to show them everything. So, yeah, I mean, if we're talking about something, is anxious because to be honest i'm personally uh, quite an action anxious person and i and i couldn't just when i was a kid i couldn't watch um horror movies like this <laughs> so like ironically um so yeah because for me it was like super stressful just even to watch it or just to play it it was even more stressful i, I actually I, to be honest to be fair i cannot play horror games at least i couldn't could not play until i start working on this <laughs> project <laughs> yeah Okay, like, like, how did you deal with that? Did you just basically play more horror games to be able to cope with that or watch more horror movies? And was that even a question during, like, your interview? That, you know, do you like horror? Like, how do you, like, what do you think of horror, for example? No, they didn't mention anything about horror. They, they, yeah, they mentioned, uh, during the interview, they mentioned that they're making a horror game, but didn't mention which IP that was. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and I didn't do anything to... Just because, like, when you develop this game, like when it when it develop, like I often see the stuff in, like in simplifying lighting, you know, or rather without lighting at all. So, I it doesn't feel as kind of horror to me because I'm familiar with like every model, <laughs> every, every every piece of geometry on the map, you know, like all, all the sounds. Like I heard the sounds over and over again. They don't scare me anymore. I know I know where to expect certain sounds to appear like yeah and what's happening on the screen so because you see like when you play with game designers yeah because we have regular playtests like for for the development kind of for the whole duration of development we've had like regular playtests like weekly uh which everybody has to participate in unless you have something super super important but it's mostly most time it's not like this uh, yeah and when you play with um Game designers, it's it just like, it's, it's such a humiliating experience. It's just, it's not even funny <laughs> because they play so well. You know, they know every, all game mechanics. They know, they know how to abuse every game mechanic. Yeah. So, and basically like, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, like, because like the, our game starts in the basement, uh, you know, dark basement where the victim held hostage and you have to escape first from basement, then from the upper levels, like from the house. And then you have to escape uh by the road to the someone to the roadway it can just yes yeah just escape the family 
and like f- first two or three months of working this project, I couldn't find ex- exit from the uh, kind of uh, I couldn't leave the basement <laughs> I, I, just because because it's so complicated. Like the layout, like it's like a, it's like a maze. Like I just I just couldn't find it because my my stupid brain just couldn't just memorize all the corners. And this is the intentional because this is a horror game, and this is a horror stealth game, right? So basically, you're relying on other people not noticing you which is which is super hard if you, if you just think about this so like uh so there are a lot of dark corners in the basement and a lot of a lot of small objects where you can hide behind and you know it's one of the satisfying feeling like when you uh escape trying to escape um Leatherface who is chasing you and you just turn around around some and, and you hit him behind um small like small like barrel or something like this or piece of geometry or piece of wood and you realize this later face i mean human plays this later face like right they just pass by you and not and not notice you it is so satisfying like yeah so yeah i think gradually my anxiousness anxiety anxiousness anxiety um um kind of turn into sort of like expectation of this excitement like when i can outplay another human in stealth game uh i think that's kind of i think that's that was it i think it was the key to i kind of kind of to calm myself down a little bit in those um to come to kind of to tame my kind of uh, inherent anxiety yeah. yeah i mean i was just thinking now like audio in horror games is like horror games are one of the best examples of games to showcase how important audio is. Because if you turn the audio off, it doesn't see that. It doesn't feel that scary. Yeah. Like, it, like whereas uh, I can play, let's say I play something like Call of Duty sometimes when I've put the volume low or like even on mute for a few minutes for whatever reason, and you know it still you know kind of feels you know decent. Obviously, you know the audio helps, but like when I've watched a horror you know game or like a clip of a movie. And there's no audio, it like it just kind of takes away the whole, yeah. you know, scary horror factor of it. It's just like audio is like immensely important. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So kind of you cannot be immersed into like experience without audio. So I don't like we can in our case, like we have we have like Leatherface, which is like the main kind of the star of the show, you know, like he's super powerful dude, like um his footsteps are super heavy and his uh, chainsaw like s- sounds super like powerful and chunky, you know, because it like, it's just an old chainsaw, which is kind of r- rusty and has to sound terrifying. Yeah. And like, and we put a lot of effort into kind of, um, uh, what's called spatial audio. Uh, it's, um, so you can imagine, like, just imagine like you have certain like indoors environment and a sound is emitting from a room, kind of one room away from you, two rooms away from you. You know, you will in real life you will not hear the sound coming directly from the person. You would hear the sound kind of propagates through openings, like through doors and through windows, stuff like this. And we put a lot of effort in that this system works uh, adequately in our super complicated level level kind of layout. So that helps uh, players to always. Um, to always kind of know where the ladder phase is coming from, even though it could be just very complicated maze layout. So we just wanted to give this 
kind of feeling that you know where which uh, doorway he will come through, you know, or through which gap he will kind of get, go through and stuff like this. And um, yeah, so and it works pretty well in our game, let's say. Um, and also we have some character other other family characters. They uh, they have idle dialogues that maybe sometimes they reveal a little bit of kind of backstory. Sometimes they you can hear how they talk to each other, like they just kind of make fun of each other and stuff like this. Um, but it also plays an important like um, audio cue for the victims who try to escape, because for them like able to hear them is very important because it's you know when they are close to you or like which direction they're coming from so that maybe you, you should just hide sit, sit down like sit hide in the bushes maybe they will they will not notice you at all um yeah i forgot what i was answering to yeah that's like that's the nature of the conversation i guess okay <laughs> just um, all it, rambling. Yeah. <laughs> so you're talking about spatial audio what do yeah. you think of technology you know like sony has with the 3d audio and then you know games introducing stuff like Dolby Atmos and DTSX. Like, what do you think of technologies like that for the audio immersion? Do, does yeah. that even bother you? Yeah, of course we work with this. Yeah, we because we use Wise as our audio engine. These uh, platform-specific technologies are kind of implemented for us already. But three D audio is a little bit different from sound uh, spatial audio. What Wise calls spatial audio. Um, so basically. This Tempest engine or like uh, 3D audio means like when you wear headphones, there is certain like um, uh, a special filter is applied to the sound so that if something is above you, you will hear it differently than when something is below you or behind you. Um, kind of it gives you subtle audio cues to help you to kind of uh, determine direction the sound is, the sound is coming from. It's kind of one of the one of the kind of parts of this sound system. Another one is called sound propagation. This is the system I mentioned before. It's, the, its goal is to um, <clears throat> to kind of to change the kind of virtual position of the sound, right? So that so that you would hear how the sound propagate through gaps and not like just you not just you only hear the direct sound and both together, those technologies work very well to create um, a feeling of direction, like and an spatial awareness of the experience. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and regarding, because yeah, we use wise and we use wise spatial audio with provides. And essentially, um, this technology assumes you lay out um, your level as rooms and portals between them. So you can imagine like sound travels between rooms through portals and a portal can be a door or a window or just a slight gap or something like this. The best example of how it works is could, could be probably end of six siege. Um, yeah, just uh, like, for example, you can break a wall in rainbow six siege and you'll hear how the sound will actually, will actually be coming from this hole that you created sort of. Um, it's like probably probably it's the most kind of prominent example of how this stuff works, and we use similar, yeah, not similar, but basically the same, just the one that Wise provides for, to us. And internally, it works like um, pathfinding algorithm, but which tries not 
we try to find as many paths as possible. So yeah, so you have your because we lay out this simplified room geometry like and portals, and this pathfinding algorithm can find a path along the edges of the geometry, like and apply different sound processing depending on like how how many edges or how long along how far along the edges the travel the sound travels through or how linear or how like kind of squiggly the path is like and we can simulate sort of acoustic phenomena uh based based on this so kind of give more cues yeah and the idea of that find as many paths as possible which this is what makes it complicated uh computationally especially but also it's hard to tune this type of systems because if you can imagine if you have very complicated geometry uh your system might find a lot of paths and because we're we are playing a game which is a real-time simulation we don't know how the path will change next frame when you just move when when your character moves just by one unit in the game right it can be completely different and um, when this happens like you know like when the the path set uh changes drastically like in next frame you'll hear the glitch occurring like the sound repositions itself maybe filter, different filtering applies and stuff like this. Um, so, yeah, and uh, Wise does pretty good job of kind of doing this in more or less stable way. Uh, as long as you provide like sort of not super complicated geometry. Um, yeah, it works pretty well. It was challenging to tune this. Uh, sometimes um, it requires just, you know, fine tuning positions of certain rooms and portals just so that to um, just to fix certain edge case that our QA uh, found. By the way, we have really amazing QA team. They found so many sp special bugs. Um, yes, we have like special QA passes on audio that can test. Basically, they run through levels in different directions, like not different, like more like just specified, along specified path. And they try to find like all of those audio edge cases that I must, by myself, I wouldn't be able to find fun because it's like it's, uh, there are infinite possibilities how uh players can be where players can be in the level yeah and the system because the, because of the nature of this uh uh pathfinding algorithm like it, it's basically unpredictable and yeah and yeah i think we're okay with this i think <laughs> okay and do you like have a preference between Dolby and DTS? Uh, to be honest, I haven't gone too far. Um, uh, it's basically this the same thing, but by two different companies. But I think everybody's talking about Dolby Atmos, uh, probably uh, Dolby more so than DTSX. Yes, yes, um, probably Dolby putting a lot of uh, uh, like marketing money into, into yeah. It. Plus, I think the the fees are higher, like, you know, to license DTSX compared to Domi Atmos. Mm -hmm. So uh, I feel like less cons. Like, yeah, I don't know. I think on Xbox, you need to purchase some sort of like plugin or something off the store to, you know, for DTSX or something like that that you have to download that I want to say is paid as well. But yeah, because the, the Xbox series consoles do support Dolby Atmos and, you know, DTSX as well. Personally, I prefer DTS for the mm -hmm. simple reason it gives a punchier sound, you know, like mm -hmm. it's more exaggerated. So, you know, when you yeah. hear like, an explosion, 
you feel the explosion more. Mm. Some people say it's not, you know, accurate and realistic. It, it you know, it isn't because it's provided a punchier, you know, you know, sound compared to something like Dolby. But you know, as someone who likes to, you know, hear those explosions, and especially with for headphones, I I've tried it a bit, and I don't. I think just a decent pair of headphones with a good game is fine. But I think with speakers and a good amp. I think that's where you start to notice the differences between these different modes. Dolby, you know, Dolby Atmos, DTS, DTSX, some sort of virtual 3D mode like I've got on my amp. Like there's a virtual 3D gaming mode that is very like ramped up on the bass and and on the sound effects. It's crazy how, you know, you know, umphy, you know, it is. It's a bit too much. I I like DTSX, but, but then a lot of things don't have DTS support. Like Netflix doesn't have DTS, but they have Dolby Atmos. Same with Amazon Prime. Same mm-hmm. with, why is it, you know, uh, you know, Apple as well, Apple TV. So it's one of those things that if you want that, you you, you can't get it out of most, <laughs> you know, uh, content. So you have to oh, have yeah. Dolby Atmos on all. It's a your, silly, yeah. yeah or, or you do some sort of conversion, which yeah. uh, I find it's just not as good as it actually be made in Atmos, for example. Yeah, but then it, you explain in a way like I probably should get myself a PS5 or some other console, start playing console games. <laughs> but because I've never actually owned a console myself, I always play it on PC all my life. Oh, just feels, yeah, it just like feels, I mean, it kind of feels a little bit redundant just because uh, everything I like is on PC already. Yeah. I think there's definitely a certain joy and experience to playing you know, it on the console. Obviously, there's some games that just aren't available yeah. on PC, for example. So, like, there's no getting around that. Yes, more and more games, especially PlayStation games, are coming to... I mean, definitely a Microsoft game because they, you know, have an, you know, a PC side of things and they're, you know, Windows and then they have the Xbox, you know, console side of things. So it makes more sense for them to put it on both platforms, you know, like Halo, Forza, Flight Simulator, those sort of games. But even PlayStation, they bring in like Uncharted, The Last of Us, Horizon. They're bringing those games to PC now. But if you want them straight away, you know, the platform is still, you know, PlayStation. So there's some titles you just can't experience on PC yeah. or not straight away. Yeah, maybe I should get one finally. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely you know worth considering, especially for the, you know, you know certain games. The, what do you think of systems like the Steam Deck or ROG, you know, Ally, which is trying to provide a more conventional console-like experience, especially with the Steam Deck, Steam Deck, but for your PC library? Oh, these are amazing! Um, like, uh, I really want to have Steam Deck. Probably, I will get myself. Steam Deck and not PS5. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is an amazing system. Yes. Yeah, like my wife bought me one for my birthday uh, a couple of years ago. I mean, it, it took a few, quite a few months to arrive because they yeah. were, you know, those were the first batch. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't in the first batch. I think I was in the second batch. Yeah, and, still, by the way. Yeah, but like the, uh, it's just amazing to be able to play these PC games because I've got a huge Steam library as well and mm. like having all those games to be able to play especially games that are about I'd say 5 to 10 years old now that on the small screen maxed out still look amazing 
and they run buttery smooth because I was playing Max Payne 3. I was, I was on holiday recently and I was playing Max Payne 3 mm. and I loved it. Like to be able to play that, one well, Max Payne 3 looks good anyway, so it's, it's not like a bad looking game. But on that small screen, maxed out, it looks amazing. And to be able to rediscover those games that I probably wouldn't sit there and play versus playing some new one was a great way of, you know, you know, experiencing, you know, gaming compared to the Nintendo Switch, for example, which is only mainly new titles. Yeah. Um, yeah, it depends how you want to get one. And the best part is it's running Linux. Uh, yes. Linux kind of has some uh, kind of warm spot in my heart, I would say, because I, I used to daily drive Linux before I, dri- before I started working in the game industry. In the game industry, basically, yeah, you have to... Uh, kind of work in, on Windows uh, tools <laughs> yeah. and engine and stuff. So maybe, yeah, maybe this designer have to install Linux on my PC again and start uh, spending nights and evenings configuring Linux for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the problem <laughs> with Linux. Like, every yeah. few years, I end up trying to do a, yeah. like a Linux-only kind of, you know, work environment. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then I just spend more time configuring drivers and software. Like uh, on Windows or on Mac, you know, even, I will just go to the website, download the EXE or the DMG, mm-hmm. and it'll be good to go a few minutes later. And then I'll go onto the you know the Linux instruction, and they're like, okay, if you're on Ubuntu, do this. If you're on you know Red Hat, do this. And then there's like a list of instructions, and I'm like, it was just so much easier just on Windows just to open up an EXE yeah. and for it to install over about thirty seconds and be like, oh, it's done, open or restart, and just <laughs> use it. And then there's always I always have this issue where because I, I use Ubuntu a lot of the times when I you know, try Linux. Well, I won't use it for a while. I turn it on, then randomly the NVIDIA driver has decided to uninstall. And I'm like, Ah. why have you decided to uninstall? Like, there was nothing going on. You've just removed yourself. Well, because that's the NVIDIA to blame, to be honest. NVIDIA refuses to make good drivers for Linux. And even some Windows servers, like some Wayland, I think, desktop, the Wayland-based desktop environments don't support like uh, in the year at all because they they just being not very nice to Linux community in general. They have a very bad reputation. Uh, and AMD is good because they have open source their drivers some time ago and community just picked this up and made the experience really good for this. Yeah, I understand why, you, why you've had this experience. Um, it's just because of the GPU problem. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, what what's your go-to distro if you was to install Linux, like today? probably it will be Arch Linux. By the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yes. Actually, I think I learned it when I was like in high school. Not learn it, but maybe first tried to install it. I don't maybe or maybe in my first years into uh, like university, I just tried it. So the thing about Arch Linux is like you have to uh install it by hand basically like so you load your live uh usb image so you load it in the system then you have to use console for all the installation to partition disks to um, create file systems uh just copy certain files between file systems to create like initial environment including initial user like some basic permissions in the beginning and have really good tutorial on the Kind of basically walk through on their wiki, which is by the way, uh, Ash Linux has the best wiki for all Linux. Like, um, 
basically if you google some problem probably you'll find answer on archwiki it, it, it's that good yeah um and yeah i think internet it's in a way like it sounds complicated when you do everything from scratch but you're basically following instructions and you're learning how to use uh and be comfortable with the console uh and as soon as become more or less com- not not super advanced but just more near comfortable i think i start to appreciate this because it's at the score it's super simple uh there is nothing to it yet you know everything you did to your system you can uh remove things you don't want or even just don't install them at all you can just check um uh kind of con- you can configure different uh like visual styles for a system, right? It's, it's also, it's not a rabbit hole, you know, you can configure basically everything in Linux, including how your window manager behaves. But I used, I used to be a fan of the Italian Windows, window manager. It's like, by default, uh, your windows cannot overlap and they get laid out into a tiles. And you can switch uh, between those tiles just using keyboard. So basically you, you can control all your graphical environment with the keyboard. Which is super useful. I can I, I even can move like my windows between workspaces with just super simple hotkey combination. Like I, I can bind like special my my favorite programs to certain hotkeys and just run them from anywhere, from anywhere. I mean from anywhere. I mean like from any desktop and it'd be super quick. Just just um, it, I can just set up even like sort of EDE experience just with a bunch of terminals arranged in a sort of kind of layout. Yeah, then you can just go into rabbit hole. Kind of um what's it's called rising like uh it's like when you make your own theme your own color theme your own like f- you choose your own fonts you, you can tune the all the colors yourself like and you kind of choose a proper um like the desktop background so that it would it would be it would look like great with everything else like um yeah you, you might want to check like uh, there's a reddit code uh, Unix porn. <laughs> yeah, people just post all the photos, uh, how they configure the environment. It's just, it looks super good. And it's the thing, like, what I like about this workflow, I can configure everything, including behavior of just my system. And this is super satisfying. It's 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 not that hard. Um, it just makes everything super convenient for you later. Though at the expense, you'll have to maintain it. Right? Uh, the, the annoying parts, it's like, you may notice at some point, like, Maybe some app doesn't play well with your cho- with your choice of desktop environment, so the fonts will look different on the on certain apps only, and you'll be inclined like to fix it like just just for this app because it looks kind of different from everything else. So like so, so yeah, but overall, yeah, uh, I love Linux. Okay, I mean, what do you think of Pop OS? Have you ever tried Pop OS? I haven't. Yeah, I heard good things about it. Yeah, so it's uh, super user friendly. Uh, but I haven't tried myself again because I, I've, I've been working in the game industry for um, like five years already, almost. I haven't touched Linux ever since because I just don't have time and I don't want to spend my evenings configuring when I don't need it. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's one of the things, it, it is a lifestyle choice. You've got to, you know, commit to. Whereas something like Windows or Mac, you can, you know, just install it as long as you've got decent hardware and, you, you, you yeah. know, you're all up to date. It, it'll just run for the yeah. most part and you don't need to think about it too much. Like uh, apart from knowing how to, you, you know, use an EXE, how Explorer versus Finder, you know, uh, apart from those few little nuances, you just don't think about it. Whereas on yeah. Linux, 
you've got to be a tech guy. You've got to be willing to know that you might want to go on your computer for 10 minutes, but you might need to configure it for three hours just to use those 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, I can agree with this. But to be honest, it, it kind of stabilizes at some point. Uh, it doesn't require too much attention at mm-hmm. some point, but it depends on what you do as well. Uh, and just kind of unexpected edge cases can arise anytime, to be honest, like, like <laughs> with external monitors. Like, yes. Oh, yeah. Or, well, or when, you give, when, you, when, you, when you're giving a talk at, at, like at a conference yeah, and you're plugging in your Linux laptop, yeah, and suddenly you, you cannot share the presentation. And also... Uh, you might have made your presentation not like in in PowerPoint, but maybe in some like uh, Linux format, like, I don't know, with PDF, like, or you may be presenting with your own command line, special command line utilities for presenting, uh, for presenting like uh, present, for making presentations um, and stuff like this. And it's I, again, it's I think it's super cool, and I, and I wish Linux gets better. Yeah, I mean, I hope so too as well. It's one of those things that I, yeah. I, I think I think. Valve with the Steam Deck. I yes. know they tried it with the Steam, you know, boxes didn't really go well, but I think that served as a good foundation for the Steam Deck. I think with the yeah. Steam Deck, it might give it the, you know, the Steam that it really needs. Because on mobile, Linux is obviously the, you know, go to platform. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, yeah. you've got Android. And then even, you know, iPhone is on based on the Unix like, you know, kernel. So it's even that is Linux. Linuxy in a way, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to kind of talk about it like that. So, so, so in reality, Linux or kind of like Linux is is the de facto on mobile. It's just on desktop, not yet for mainstream consumers or on consoles uh, fully. Yep. So, you know, one thing that, you know, I notice or, you know, I've got a you know, question about is... When a game, you know, gets released, let's say some major title, and, you know, there's a backlash because, you know, it's a buggy game, you know, buggy releases, you know, it happens all the time. I'm trying to think of any time there's been a big release and there's been, you know, bugs, there's been problems, and they've been audio-related. Like, there's, the, I remember, you know, there's always visual problems. You always hear about them, you know, textures popping out or, you know, you know just things, you know, it, it lagging or network issues, you know, connection issues, stuff like that. But I'm trying to think, when was the last time I heard about a buggy game release and it was primarily to do with audio? Like, are, ga- are games just released bug-free from an audio perspective, or does it just go unnoticed because the audio kind of goes unnoticed? So there is this thing, like, um, audio can make players feel uncomfortable but players may not be able to tell what's the reason of them being uncomfortable. They might say that the game sucks or something like this, but <laughs> sometimes, yeah, but they just don't have the, like, they don't know how to communicate problems without, with audio. They might not kind of notice what something makes them feel annoyed or just uncomfortable or something just kind of uh, puts them out of their immersion. Um, and, uh, I think I think it's more of the latter. Like people may not notice uh, bugs with audio. Probably the most uh, noticeable for the average uh, person, like who just not into audience at all, the uh, dialogue bugs. Like you may not notice something is very repetitive happens, um, mm. or like maybe, or for example, the dialogue audio starts, but 
artist already doing something else, but you still hear the audio or maybe the audio stacks at certain position. Yeah. Or you go um, into a cutscene and the yeah. sound effect that you've just triggered is still playing because obviously usually yeah. the in-game stuff stops or yeah. transitions in potentially, but like it's still playing, but then they've started talking in the cutscene. Yeah, yeah. It, these are all little things like this, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just hard for, just imagine like just from the average person perspective, it's just hard to communicate uh, about sound because we, we don't even have words, don't have many words uh, just to um, just to refer to sound. Like I think that's the problem. <clears throat> okay, and in terms of being an audio programmer, how does the salary compare to other programmers in the gaming industry? So, gameplay programmer, AI programmer, you know. UI programming, you know, that sort of stuff. How does it compare? I think it's in the ballpark of gameplay programmer, I think, because basically you can consider audio programmer is like a little bit more specialized uh, gameplay programmer. Uh, just just because basically the the level at which you work at, I mean, in terms of code level, I mean, like what kind of things you do in code are very similar to what gameplay programmer would do. Uh, it, these are more like high-level systems that integrate um, different data from different sources and just to try to make some decisions based on this data and to process it. Yet, but sorry, I would say like the salaries um, in the in the ballpark basically, like with the gameplay programmer. Okay, that sounds good. And do you think that's you know a fair compensation, or do you think you should be paid more or less? What do you think? I mean, you can always say you want to be paid more. Yeah, yeah. So I no mean, yeah. you would obviously choose it, but like, do you think it's fair? Like, if somebody's doing audio programming and they're earning, let's say, fifty thousand, and then somebody's doing gameplay programming, they're earning fifty thousand. Do you say no? I think if they're earning fifty, I'm happy earning the same amount as a gameplay programmer. You know, irrespective of you wanting more, but just relative to a gameplay programmer. Whereas if the gameplay programmer was making two hundred thousand. And the audio program was making fifty thousand. You will probably be like, oh, "No, I think that's a bit, you know, too much of a difference." Like, what do you think? Well, if that was this magnitude, like, uh, uh, like four times less than, yeah, I would say yeah, it's unfair. <laughs> but otherwise, I think uh, I, to be honest, I don't know how to answer this. Uh, I haven't really given this much thought, to be honest, into into comparing myself and to others, kind of. Because in most companies, like you cannot tell your salary, salary. Nobody will tell you your their salaries, kind of. It's yeah, most people, you. you know, won't. No, I mean, share it. people talk here, yeah, but it's more like it's sort of privately. It's yeah, like yeah, like yeah. I, I doubt it's ever in the office. Be like, you know, I'm earning yeah. X amount. You're yeah. like, or yeah. you won't go up to someone. Be like, how much are you earning? I want to make sure I'm earning. like we have the same job title. We're we're about the same age. I want to make yeah. sure yeah. that I'm earning enough. So yeah, it is definitely obviously you can get a rough idea of you know company salary like on something like Glassdoor. But yeah, yeah. specifically an individual. Let's say if there's Bob you probably don't know exactly how much they're earning. But I've always yeah. thought that people like in HR or accounting especially, they know. <laughs> yes, of course. And they they, they to, know everyone. <laughs> yeah, and they have to protect this information from yes, like, others. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they'll know the yeah. CEOs, they'll know theirs, obviously, they'll know their colleagues, they'll know yours, they'll know your colleagues in programming, they'll know the designers. 
yeah. I, I wonder if they ever, you know, have a little, they probably do, like a little yeah. discussion amongst themselves, like that person, you know, is gained hardly anything, but they're like, their work is so fundamental to the game or the product, but they're hardly gaining it. And then there's this other person who in reality isn't that important to the project, but they're m- making so much more. Uh, to be honest, I heard uh, a story like it's from many years ago, maybe 10 years ago. Um, like there were two people, they were doing the same thing. Um, and like basically, yeah, just basically same responsibilities, same like level, same everything. Like, um, but one was, uh, earning twice as much as the other because uh the other one didn't ask for raise <laughs> didn't ask for more and yeah if if like because just imagine from the hr perspective the somebody asked like somebody was too modest right and didn't ask more and for them it's yeah yeah okay that's it's fine yeah but so, yeah, i think that's but in a way like this uh, so i know that it's like very Topical, you know, to discuss this transparency, solid transparency and stuff like this. But I heard another opinion about this. Like, if everything is that transparent, like you, you're losing means to negotiate higher salary later in your career. Mm. Because everything is already like known, like you cannot earn higher. But again, it's probably related to American Silicon Valley where the salaries can be really crazy. And for UK, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, the yeah you see some programming salaries in Silicon Valley. Yes, it costs more to live there. Fair enough, but yeah, you see some of the salaries yeah. there, and you're like, how much for a junior? Like, like, like how much for just like a graduate yeah, compared yeah. to a senior in the UK? Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. Then you say, okay, at least we have NHS, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, NHS and a bunch of other things, and you know, yeah. no school shootings, and yeah, etc., yeah. etc. Et yeah, I mean. Obviously, the uh, and like you know, Silicon Valley is expensive. When you look at the price yeah. of a taxi there, or a price of you know a coffee, or your shopping, or whatever, like buying some clothes, it's or like the rent, you know, for example. Yes, it is super expensive there. But then you do get that odd person that just you know gets that really good paying job there, yeah. lives really cheaply, and then like after five years leaves because they've got so much money saved because they didn't actually fall into the rat race of Silicon Valley and yeah. they've just accumulated loads of money and they'll go to a different state or come back to the UK, for example, and they'll like be like, I've got more than enough to get a house. Yeah, but I still love this in, in the UK. Pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, what sort of, what engine do they use and what, like, what sort of tech, what sort of technologies? We use Unreal Engine, though it's fourth version. Because we started with it, so nobody decided, like, no, nobody wanted to change the versions, like, mid development or rather close development. Uh, yeah, so it's it's pretty normal tech stack, I would say. Um, like, Unreal Engine for audio, we use Wise. We have pretty well established workflows, like, we have daily builds. Uh, like, we have actually two daily builds. So, for example, if somebody uh, makes changes before lunch, it's basically guaranteed that they will can test their changes in the afternoon because during lunch there will be like uh, compilation jobs will fire up and just build all the games all for, for the consoles, for PC, for just upload them to Steam so we can just download the new version from Steam and just play it, which is super convenient for audio team because uh, just they're basically able to um, not only just test their changes in the editor, but actually play the game, connect to the server, like play the game through Steam, like the same way how player how the real player will play it 
and tested by Steam. And hopefully, like uh, this workflow, like uh, hopefully, we will not have many bugs on the release date. Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully. But yeah, I, I really love how just just development environment like uh, that that currently at our studio just it's super good, like super convenient. Like we have a build dedicated build engineer who manages all of these like auto builds. We try to automate as as much as possible. Like, um, for example, like. Um, with audio, like um, kind of, you have to submit sound banks to sound engine in order for them to be played in the in the build. So we have this automated, like, so sound design just make changes in, in the Wise project. Maybe don't they don't even pass them in game right away, but they make a bunch of changes. Don't worry about uploading anything, submitting, or like con like because it is a binary file that can conflict with several people work concurrently. So yeah, so. They know, like, okay, the sound banks will be regenerated during launch build, uh, and they, yeah, they can just test it, so they can basically work a little bit asynchronously uh, in regards to like build cycles. Okay, and uh, you know, you said that it's made using Unreal Engine. Is it Unreal yeah. Engine five? No, it's it's four, four, four. Okay, because yeah, okay. we started before the release, and, and we, we have like. We have really good uh, like technical directors. They like they're pretty reasonable. They don't want to jump to a new technology when it appears. Like because there is, there will be much value for us, and it will be just a time waste just to upgrade engine when we are very close to release already, and we have very good build. Okay, yeah. I mean yeah, that's fair enough because yeah. I had yeah. a VFX artist that worked on Star Wars Jedi Survivor back yeah. in April. And she said the same thing. It's on Unreal Engine 4 because the development started before UE5 came out. UE4 has a lot of documentation, a lot of videos. Yeah. It's been tried and tested. Development were partway through. It's problematic to upgrade when you don't have any real need to. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's totally reasonable. I totally support this. I, yeah, because it's always like this. You know, like when you see a and you hear like announcements of the new technologies which are prepared for by marketing marketing teams they help you up for trying this new thing like but in the end it's just a tool and you have to use your tool the way like kind of that's uh, beneficial for the project you're working on uh yeah i think like uh there is no rush to upgrade and typically i try to be conservative regarding upgrading stuff yeah i, I can just do like minor upgrades of audio engine like yeah like anytime but if there is a new feature, a new vice version, I will probably not upgrade straight away because yeah, because new features, new bugs, and new behaviors, also new bugs, and it's like yeah, whatever. If it works already, unless we need some some new feature, yeah, of course. But otherwise, yeah, Be, being conservative is kind of better, in my opinion, for the long term development. Okay, so that definitely sounds interesting. So, you know, if somebody wants to, you know, somebody's at uni or, you know, at the start of the career, they want to become an audio programmer, do something similar to you, what advice would you, you know, give to them? Uh, I don't know, it's hard to give advice because of my nonlinear path to game audio. I'd say just if somebody has interest in game audio, just check um tutorials on the audio engine websites like like i'm using wise basically i've been using wise for the past five years um there's also f mod um but wise has i mean again i, I didn't check f mod i don't know how the, the documentation is uh, but wise has really good 
like entry uh, entry level courses on, on the website. Like you can download the pro the simple game project to play around with how the game is implemented. They will also explain you important concepts in the audio engine, how things should be implemented, like what the performance consideration, how to optimize the thing. And I'd say just start with this, like because it's not just like you learning just one tool. They st they still you, you still you will get some more foundational experience that can be transferred over to other en other engines, including F mode or Unreal Engine. Because basically it's it's all it's, it's all sort of the same. You can manage how many sounds are played at the same time. Uh, just set up basically these rules for them how to play. You just you're just using different uh, interface to set them up, but probably your goals will be uh, similar uh, no matter which audio engine you use. Because, yeah, in the end, like, you want to make a good experience for the player. And this experience requires certain things to be done, like with audio, like uh, with what whatever designers want. Uh, and the tasks, they're basically the same for everybody. But good start is the WISE 101, I'd say. And then, like... It's beneficial to learn a little bit about DSP uh, if if you're interested in this. It's not like it's not that required to do most of audio programming stuff, but sometimes it's a, it's useful. Like I've had um, I've had to write like wise plugins for on like to do some DSP on a couple of occasions. Uh, yeah, it's just like basic familiarity with how digital audio works and um, how like. Because there are certain patterns that you can you can you can find in audio development. For example, like when you're making audio processors, typically you have a, a dedicated stage where you set everything up for playing, and then you have your process function, which actually does the work. There are good reasons for this because audio um, actually has stricter time requirements than the just general game because you can you can say like if game fps fluctuates a little bit it's not that crucial as as audio glitching out because if you even hear a slightest glitch it's it will be very apparent like uh it will ruin the experience but if uh, the frame rate like fluctuates a little bit it's not that hard so and also the game is executed like at um like, I don't know, 60 frames per second, like, you know, like the lowest right now, right? But audio is ticked at uh, 48,000 um, kind of ticks per second. So you have to make at least, you have to generate at least 48,000, like, um, audio data points, like, in, in, in certain specified time. And if you don't fill your buffers fast enough, the audio interface will just carry on without waiting for you, and you will hear a glitch. That's how you. That's why you hear glitches most of the time when you, uh, just cannot when the CPU is overloaded and stuff like this. Yeah, and because of this, like um, performance requirements, um, you cannot do a lot of things, like memory allocations inside these audio process functions. So basically, if you need to allocate memory, you would do it in a like setup function, right? Um, but you would not do anything in in the processing function that that would have indeterminate um, time constraints. Because if you because just imagine every system call you make into into in, into the system, like like 
like IO or like some file lookup has, you, you don't know where you will return back uh, from, from this call because the, the operating system might decide, okay, I'll do a context switch in the middle of your processing function. So this also, it stores your thread in a little bit and you can get all sorts of audio glitches. So, so for, the, for this, just for, just, just for this reason, I think just learning how to program like basic DSP algorithms might, might help you. Like you don't have to do like design like filters or do some like uh, a lot of math heavy stuff, More, mostly like just kind of from the programming perspective, like yeah, again, because like as a professional programmer, you, you have to, to kind of just to adapt to different domains of, um, of whatever you're working on and use the adequate uh, patterns and adequate like uh, programming for, for the job. So can, can you, you, you cannot use uh, like, I don't know, like your graphics programming mindset for audio programming and vice versa, right? Um, yeah, so I'd say, I'd say these two points probably at the beginning. And maybe also just to have a general interest in how audio is produced. Like, I don't know, maybe just check some tutorials. How <laughs> Actually, it's good tutorials. Like just, to, just check how dubstep producers make by bass. There are a lot of tutorials on YouTube. They actually show, showcase a lot of cool techniques that uh, some sound designers use to in their work in games. Like, you know, to kind of see, you know, get inspired by, by, by those. Because, because Musical genres like drum and bass and dubstep, they're super sound design heavy. And even having like some, not like maybe deep understanding, maybe just some kind of uh, sort of like very superficial understanding how it works, maybe, or, or what it involves and workflows may kind of help too. Uh, just with communication with the audio team in general. So, so you can be on the same page like uh, about uh, about audio the workflows and stuff. Okay. That definitely sounds, you know, interesting. And yeah, uh, I agree. You know, you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to try things because otherwise, you, yeah. you know, you're not going to you know, know. Plus also the other thing is you might think, you know, you want to be this type of programmer, but then, you know, like just try programming in general and you might realize, okay, you don't want to do that anymore. Like you don't want to do AI programming, programming just because it's yeah. you know the hot in thing. Like obviously AI is what everyone is talking yeah. about. You know, you got to be AI programmer. You got to be AI. But the reality is, you know, audio programming ain't going away. Gameplay programming ain't going away. You know, rendering and graphics programming is not going away. Uh, and then you know, game programming it might not be games. It might be web development, or it might be the opposite. You want to do web, you discover gaming, and then you're like, okay, you know, I want to get into the games industry. So yeah, there's definitely, you know, lots of different avenues to, you know, get into it. And audio is definitely an interesting one. So like at university, like do you are there any degrees that you can do that are audio based on, on the bachelor's level, audio programming, or is it really just computer science or games programming, games design? Because I did a computer games programming degree yep. and that was primarily you know, game with some computer science and like web and mobile, and there was a bit of mention on audio. I'm trying to think, was it? How was it? Yeah, there was a bit of like talk with with audio, but we didn't really use OpenAL or FMOD or anything like that, like specifically as part of the course. Mm. So yeah, definitely. Um, but there, there are some DSP based uh, programs, I think. Um, uh, but yeah, it's again, it's more like signal processing and filter design and this kind of stuff. So it's not particularly 
game audio programming. Uh, but it's 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 more general, like how to process audio, like and just imagine if you want to develop a denoise algorithm for your podcasting app, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and some it's somehow on this line, yeah, but not game audio, but because you can kind of have to understand, like there are not many like audio programming roles out there. It's just like when when studio needs it, it's hard to find somebody who fits, but it's not that many actually um, opportunities. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, totally true. There's, you know, you also got to look at the opportunities, you know, available yeah. as well. Like, yeah, so, it's hard to predict where you end up actually after uni, because like, so like, when you finish uni, you're like 22 or something. Like, it's it's super hard to predict what we, what will happen to you because it all depends on the opportunities that have been presented to you, and whether or not you're ready to take those opportunities, right? So like, yeah, that's general, a big I think, one. yeah, yeah. Like if you, I think like if anyone like kind of gets interested in different stuff, like. Uh, just kind of geeking, or geeking, geeking about like uh, some topics. Hey guys, so there was just a little technical audio issue. Just lost a few seconds of the recording, but Eugene was basically just wrapping up his point about, you know, just the right opportunity, the right time, and, you know, you know where you are in your life as well. And, like, it, it's so true. Like, the opportunities that come to you are also important. Plus, you know, where you are with your life will depend on what you accept, what you don't accept. Because I did a games programming degree. And every person that I know after, you know, after they graduated, most of them don't have a games programming job. Like they have like the ones that they, I think there's one or two that don't have a programming job. They've gone into something else or they didn't really do much with their, you know, degree and they just got some, you know, BS job basically, you know, just some low paid job. But like ignoring them, like the most of the people that I had got programming degrees, most of them aren't in games. They're like in other industries. And I remember this every single one of them was adamant they're going to do game programming, you know, afterwards. But it, it's just that thing. Like, they finish, they start applying to some jobs, or they, they, they relax a bit, then they're like, okay, it's time, time to start applying. They start applying, and they re- they don't get a game programming degree, I mean, a games job straight away. Then they get an offer from a non-games job, and they're like, the salary's decent for a graduate. Let me go work there. And then, then they just stay there. They just, because they get comfortable and you know they get used to the technologies and the workflow of that particular industry of that particular you know company and product they did they they never go back to games so it it is one of those things obviously if you really want to get into games or whatever it is you know work hard and you know figure out a way to do it but you know it, it, it doesn't always play that play out that way so you could have a games programming degree and just become a web developer, you know, for example, uh, in a non-games company. So the, that's more than possible. Or the other way around. <laughs> oh, yeah, or, or the other way around as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that happens. Well, I hear about people that had a regular computer science degree. But the thing, obviously, with a regular computer science degree, because it's more macro level, you're inevitably yeah. going to go a bit more niche afterwards anyway and it's just whether or not it's going to be games or whether it's social media company or some you know tech company some phone company whereas game programming is a very specific degree for the most part and when you hear that and when you do it you know you do it with the mindset of i'm gonna go into the games industry so it can be a bit of a shock when you hear about somebody that did a games programming degree 
didn't go into games or the person themselves that did the degree and then like 10 years later they're not in games it's just one of those things and sometimes it's good sometimes it's not so good depending on you know your experience and how it's worked out for you yeah uh it's also like about i say more philosophical uh theme like the nature of luck i would say uh and it's not like only about like being presented with an opportunity, which is super important that if there is an opportunity, but also another part of luck is like be able to take this opportunity, like be prepared for this. Um, it's like there, there was this old saying, like the luck favors a prepared mind. So it's like, uh, it's, uh, you know, like in retrospect, like everything um, looks so logical, you know, like, you know, somebody was interesting, knows you or got into game audio or whatever yeah but actually like from the individual's perspective it's like everything is so chaotic and it depends on a lot of like uh, coincidences or just some pure luck but also kind of some being to be being prepared to take the advantage of whatever opportunities being presented oh yeah 100 you know that's you know totally on point you know you'll get opportunities come your way you might not identify them as opportunities and you know you've got to be open to you know you know you've got to look and you think okay this opportunity's come my way it wasn't what i was thinking is this something that could help me my career you know serve me and you know help me advance even if maybe it's not in games and you've done a game program degree let me do this for two years maybe there's you know there's a great respect for that company, for example. And, you know, anyone that works there is just highly regarded. Like an opportunity like that comes, you know, it's definitely worth considering, uh, you know, or it might be yeah. the, or you might just be, you know, it pays really well. And I want to do my own, like make my own games, but that's a very, you know, you know, risky, you know, uh, you know, entrepreneurship in general is very risky. And if you want to go down that route, something comes up, really highly paid for your experience and your age and and instead of saying no i only want to make my own games you might think okay what if i do this for three four five years and live frugally save a bunch of money it'll give me a buffer to have a go or maybe go into a company or industry that i want to work in but that doesn't pay as much like the opportunities come in various you know shapes and sizes yeah yeah so like the best strategy is just to be interested in something Mm-hmm. and have some interest that drives you like to le- learn more stuff and just don't be a dick to others <laughs> not being a dick <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's the major point i think i think <laughs> as well <laughs> so that's all the you know specific questions around your job all wrapped up and at the end of all my podcasts i always ask some fun rapid fire questions are you ready for them eugene yeah let's go yeah okay if you were to run a company, would you rather run a 10-person or 1,000-person company and why? Uh, yeah, I guess it depends on the side, on, the, on what company does. Uh, what, Let's what, say games. So like game. whatever you wanted to. Let's say making yeah, games. games. Okay, games. Okay, I'll say 10-person. Like, yeah, because it's just fun. Okay, it's more fun, more personal. Yeah. You know everyone's name. Yeah. Okay. But um, if, if I was like to, I don't know, grow vegetable and run logistics for those like uh for this farming <laughs> i would say like i would, I would rather run ten thousand 
<laughs> yeah, fair enough. But obviously, with the ten person company, you're probably not going to work on the larger scale yes, games like yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre or a GTA or a Call of Duty. Like, would you be happy with that compromise? Wait, to be fair, Texas Chainsaw team is not that large. It's maybe twenty to thirty people, so it's actually quite okay. So it's it's achievable, yeah. Potentially doable if you work around the clock and maybe a few more years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And would you rather have five million pound upfront or half a million a year for the rest of your life, and why? Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, probably I need to ask somebody who can, can you know, like some, some accountant who can calculate rates, stuff like this. But myself, I don't know. Okay. No, I, really, I don't know. I'm struggling with uh, all money questions, like to calculate the. What's the most profitable? Yeah, well, yeah, whatever well, is more profitable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but if <laughs> yeah. you had to choose right now, like uh, you have thirty seconds to choose, otherwise both options go away. What do you choose? Okay, what what were the numbers again? <laughs> okay, five million upfront or half a million a year for the rest of your life? Uh, probably half a million a year. Yeah. Half a million a year. Okay. And what's your favorite board game, video game, and movie? Smoothie. I really uh, like Tarkovsky movies, like Solaris or um the mirror uh they're just super amazing like um like they're super deep um and thought provoking and in like in a good way not just like to kind of surprise you more like just uh as soon as you understand the plot what you just seen it's like yeah it's just like yeah my life i, I can say my life was can be split in two parts before i watch some Tarkovsky movies and after <laughs> yeah definitely uh board games i don't play much board games to be honest so i'm not really that uh into them so i cannot answer this and was there a computer game as well yeah video game a video game yeah um okay that's a tough one i cannot say a single one so but i can tell like what i enjoy currently um i play a lot of valorant now uh it's like competitive shooter and um yeah, I, I really like the the whole experience. How actually it sounds really good. Like even though it's like competitive game and it's more like the audio design. There is just the the goal of them is just like just to make you to facilitate competitiveness of the game. And I just still love how the how they how they do sound there, and that's probably the, the one, one of the main reasons why I play it. But it's also pretty fun as well. Yeah, of course. Then I used to play a lot of Civilization, but I I decided I will not play it again. <laughs> okay, I didn't play it that much. Like, it's just me for hundred hours, but it's just no. I decided okay, no no for X games anymore. And one of the best games that I played ever was uh, Star Wars uh, Knights of the Old Republic second yes. one. Oh it's, my god, it's I mean, the both best. were great. Yeah. Both were amazing games. Second one is the best, like because the story is like I really like this. They 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 take on this old like Jedi thing, so they they are not just light and dark, and might be just some something between. And the main hero who wants to destroy the Force because of the some selfish reasons, it's like it's so beautiful. It's it just super well written. Unfortunately, it was a little bit buggy, but I, I enjoyed it so much. I played it so many times. It's just it's just my favorite game at all time. I would say, yeah. I mean, was you? I'm guessing you were excited for the Knights of the Old Republic remake, but it's on hold right now. I hope they they, they release this remake of the second one because there were a lot of cut content, 
like Droid, Droid Planet from the second one. I think you can still play it sort of like the the Droid kind of planet. Uh, this is the planet where this HK forty seven from. Hmm. Um, if with some mods, community mods. Actually, I haven't played yet, but probably I should. I should, yeah. Uh, because like to be to me, like the second one was just top. The first one was also good, but not as good as the second one, in my opinion. Just Obsidian just nailed it. Like the atmosphere is just so unique. Yeah. yeah, Star Wars has had so many amazing games. They've definitely been weak games as well, but they've had yeah. so many, you know, great, you know, like Battle, you know, Front, especially yeah. the original ones. Mm. And even like the new ones yeah. weren't too bad, but like the original ones and, you know, Jedi the Academy. Old Republic. You know, the Remember? Old Republic. Did you yeah. play the Old Republic? I tried it, but to be honest, I couldn't get into like. MMOs, to be honest, it just it just never rang with me. I would say, like, I just couldn't get it just into this thing because it requires farming all the time. Like, uh, just <laughs> yes, even though I, I was super excited, like, I wanted to play it just to learn the story because this is the, like my favorite like lore of the Star Wars. But uh, I just couldn't get over this um, MMO thing. Like, just some yeah. personal, I guess. Mm-hmm. Have you ever played any of the Star Wars VR games or content? VR, no, never. No, I never tried VR actually. Um, Have you not? Uh, is this mm. something that just doesn't interest you, or you just haven't had the opportunity yet? Uh, no, I mean, I played a little bit in, like in the in in, in the shopping malls. Like it's just some yeah. Now I have to set up my room to <laughs> like I have to like kind of rearrange everything so that I don't bump into something while I'm doing stuff. I just don't feel like it's something for me. I guess. Um, and then there's also like you start sweating and then your those soft pads will kind of soft your sweat, so you have to change them. But before you change them, you kind of you'll notice they will get grimy and they grimy on your face. So <laughs> I, kind of, I just kind of like even even thinking about this is just for me. Like, uh. Yeah, I mean there's some interesting you know issues with VR that you've just brought up there. Yeah, j- just to mention people who will be like uh, wearing those new Apple glasses or whatever it is. <laughs> like they will I'm, be wearing I'm them for that price that they're really comfortable and really good airflow yes. that they don't have the issues of but, the current you know, headsets. I think lots of physics are applicable for everyone, even for Apple. <laughs> it's like yeah. they can get a, I mean, I know hopefully they it will be super awesome, but I just I just think it's not definitely for me. Yeah. yeah. So I mean like what video game are you looking forward to? Except for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, what um, are you you're looking forward to? Uh there was something uh I was looking I think I wanna try this mecha game that's gonna be released soon by uh from software. Even though I'm not a huge fan of the of the Dark Souls and Bloodborne. Uh, because again, I'm a super anxious person, like, and I can just kind of play them myself. So, I only played Dark Souls three with my friend who was helping me to. <laughs> but I just love the attention to details, the story. The actually story in Dark Souls is pretty good. I watched like many hours on YouTube just 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 to learn about uh, lore of the game. It's it's super good, like beautiful like, story. Like so, this kind of Asian story, you know, like uh, it's not like there is no ending. Actually, it's more like just mm. some balance. Basically, they are you're just basically like not doing anything with your actions here, but still like it's so beautiful in my opinion. Um, yeah, probably this one, then there'll be some simulation games. I want to try some, some solo developer. Damn, I forgot the name. So the guy makes a game. Uh, it's like space. It's like civilization, but in space, I guess, but with, um, 
big emphasis on logistics. So like, so it's, it's, so you, if you're going to yield words there, you will have to set up your logistics properly. Like, you know, to simulate modern warfare. I'm super interesting to kind of just to ch- try it out at least uh, for a couple dozen hours, uh, hopefully not more, um, into this game just to, just appreciate what one person can do with this. But it looks pretty good as well. Yeah, I, I just don't remember much names. Yeah. Okay. And final question, two-parter. Does money buy you happiness and what does a good life mean to you? Yeah. I don't know. To some degree, I guess money do make happier, but not to not universally, I think. Because there is some truth that yeah, like uh, they make certain things easier. Um and what's what's the what's the second one? What does a good life mean to you? I don't know. Just live happy with your family, I guess. Uh, have some fulfillment, I guess, some satisfaction from your life. That's important, I think. Um, it doesn't have to be a job. It's more like just, I guess, feeling of being satisfied with life, which is like um, specifically a t- kind of formulated this way because so it doesn't get... Uh, so I don't attach this to work, to job, because jobs come and go um and the, you know the interests but if life is feels fulfilling which is totally subjective uh i think it's good fair enough i totally agree you know have a fun life happy life thank you family and you know do something meaningful that you know you find enjoyable yeah. and that you think is worthwhile after 20 30 40 years yeah so yeah that's you know, that's it for the podcast. I want to, you know, thank you, Eugene, for coming onto the podcast, you know, today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Farhan. Um, yeah, to be honest, I was a, bit, a little bit nervous before, but actually it, went pretty, it was pretty fun. Yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, are nervous, especially if they haven't done anything like this before, but they find it, you know, comforting and they find it enjoyable because there's no video as well. So the lack of video definitely helps with keeping it enjoyable fun and but also relaxed as well not too serious mm-hmm. yep yep so that's it everyone thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of fire dev and i'll see you in the next episode of fire dev bye 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 everyone